homily for the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time, September 25th, 2022, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. You may not know someone just like the rich man in this gospel, but you think you do. You pictured in your mind a particular man or woman And as this story unfolded, a look of satisfaction came across your face. Good, they're getting what's coming to them. The temptation is strong to insert a person from our own lives into the role of the rich man, a big jerk who we're convinced is on the road to disaster. Well, do you notice what happens as a result? We never have to get our hands dirty. We stand aside and keep ourselves out of the parable. Well, that's precisely the opposite of what Jesus would have us do. So let's take a closer look at what the Lord is telling us here. Today's gospel introduced us to a certain rich man. Jesus did not name him, but instead named the beggar at his very doorstep, Lazarus. This shows how important Lazarus is in God's eyes. Quite often, characters in Jesus' parables are not named. Lazarus lived a wretched, miserable existence. His belly was empty and his sores were not healing. On the other hand, the rich man dined sumptuously every day. We can almost see him chowing down and, in his sloppiness, allowing morsels themselves adding up to a meal to tumble onto the floor. People would use flatbread as napkins and as utensils, and they would throw aside what they used as refuse. The rich man is, to put it bluntly, in love with himself. Jesus tips us off to this when he tells us what the man wore. At that time, purple dye was among the rarest in the world. Only a select few who could afford purple garments would wear them. That's why the color purple frequently came to be associated with royalty. People would often wear it to make a statement. I'm not your average Joe. I'm a person of influence. Look at me. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't get into specific moral behaviors here. He doesn't heap virtuous deeds upon poor Lazarus. Neither does he accuse the rich man of being an adulterer or an axe murderer. The poor are not heroes simply because of their poverty, and the rich are not villains simply because of wealth. Rather, the rich man had more earthly goods than he needed, and he would not share any of them with the poor, even when they're as close by as his own property. Despite the differences in their lives, both men meet the same inescapable fate. The moment of death comes after which no amount of gold or silver does anything. But this is not the end of the road for them. Lazarus bathes in the light of God's glory beside Abraham, while the rich man finds himself on the wrong side of the great abyss. The rich man never gets it. On earth he managed to avoid negative consequences because he was rich. He never had to wait his turn like the commoners, but strode directly to the front of the line. He always considered himself deserving of everyone else's respect. 
Perhaps he was a mover and shaker in the business world, used to being listened to and making deals. And although everything has now changed, he himself never does. The rich man in torment remains so clueless that his actions become ridiculous and pathetic. It's as though he tells Abraham, I'm the boss of you, and I'm thirsty, so you have to do what I say. And what does he think of Lazarus? One wonders if the rich man knows he even exists. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue. It sounds like a dog owner saying, Fido, fetch my slippers, except in that case the owner is at least speaking directly to the dog. How profoundly sad. At the end comes one moment of sober clarity for the rich man. If this tragedy befell me, it could also befall my relatives and friends. Someone has to warn them. But for the rich man, the thought comes too late. He chose what he loved in his life over and over again, and God ratified that choice. All of us in some way or another suffer from selective blindness. Physically, we may be able to see just fine, but spiritually, there are certain people or situations that we choose not to see, to ignore. We set limits that God would not have us set, and this prevents us from living out our faith as God calls us to. There's a story from the Gospel of John in which Jesus heals a man blind from birth. Several of the chief priests and elders heard of it and confronted Jesus because he had cured the man on a Sabbath day of rest. Jesus chastised them, telling them that in effect they were as good as blind as long as they refused to acknowledge the power God had shown in their midst. If they were actually blind, he told them, they would have no sin, but as long as they claimed to see, their sin remained. Today I propose that we think of ourselves as the five brothers of the rich man. We are receiving his warning, and it has to do with more than the hereafter. Jesus reminds us today of the importance of solidarity. In the gospel, he says, The poor you will always have with you. And like Nazareth, like Lazarus, they are as near as our door. This has been an increasingly prominent theme in the social teaching of the church. We need to remember that every single Lazarus is a child of God created in his image. Every Lazarus, without exception, deserves our respect and concern. We may not in good conscience turn our backs on them, hiding behind the excuse that they are too far away or too far gone to warrant our help. I will close with the words of St. Basil, a bishop of the early church, whose window is the first one on the north side of our wall of fame in the church, who spoke about the principle of solidarity this way. He said, quote, How grateful you should be to your own benefactor! How you should beam with joy at the honor of having other people come to your door! instead of being obliged to go to theirs. But you are now ill-humored and unapproachable. You avoid meeting people in case you might be forced to loosen your purse strings even a little. You can say only one thing. 
I have nothing to give you. I am only a poor man. A poor man you certainly are, and destitute of all real riches. You are poor in love, generosity, faith in God, and hope of eternal happiness. End of quote. Those of us who see something of ourselves in Basil's description have some work to do. Amen.